Lord, we are so grateful once again that we can gather on this your day, given to us as a gift to cease from our work, gather together as your people, to hear your word and to minister to one another and others as you give us opportunity to hear this text with new eyes, new ears, and renewed hearts. Lord, for it might be familiar to some of us and others to less familiar, but the reality is every time your word is brought forth, it speaks and meets the needs that you would have for each and every one of us, and I pray you would do that in our midst this day, that we would walk away this day encouraged in the reality of who you are, Lord Jesus Christ, and that we would make a difference across the West Shore. In Jesus' name, amen. I discovered in college the buffet, all right, because buffets were coming out in the 80s, you know, and uh, I was in the dorms at George Mason University in Fairfax, and the meal plan was overpriced, and it wasn't that good, and I thought, you know, meh, I can go to a buffet and get more food for less money, and then I can get whatever I want for breakfast, so it didn't matter, so I started to do that. So I, you know, I ate protein bars, snack, you know, Nutri-Grain, whatever it was for breakfast. But for dinner, I'd go to Denny's one day, and I'd go to some other place for another day, and another day all week long. And then, because mom and dad lived 20 minutes away, I just, on the weekends, I ate at home. It's a piece of cake. What I discovered quickly, though, is the reason there's buffets is they put the less quality food, no matter how much you eat. You might be full, you know. But the good food is on the menu. But for a 19, 20-year-old starving kid who could eat and not put on weight back then, it was awesome. Can't do that anymore. You know, I, I share that with you because I think it's applicable for this text today. And I want us to come to this text with a Cornelius the Centurion heart. If you look down at verse 33... He says, now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. That's a pretty open heart, isn't it? And I come with that heart, I pray as well, because it's been 10 years, if you can believe it, since we walked through Acts beginning to end. We ended Acts right before we moved out of our building. But 10 years ago, we were in Acts, and, and I preached 1 through 48, one message on 48 verses. I, you know, forgive me, you know. Um, and I just, uh, you know, I just flew over, if you will. But you know, when you study Acts, you start to naturally ask yourself, why don't we see this today? Why don't I see this in my life, in my husband's life? life, my wife's life, my children's lives, my church's life, across the West Shore like we see in Acts. Well, I, I think this story is going to help us understand why that is. Because here's what people normally do. We come to the scriptures like a buffet. And some of us have eyes bigger than our stomachs. And take it all in, have too much from the buffet. And others are overly picky. And in an increasing manner, 
I'm observing that many people who profess the Christian faith are overly picky. You know, they pick stuff they like, and they leave stuff they don't like there on the buffet. They might even take the tongs and pull it out and sniff it, and then put it back. And the problem, and each one of us do this, by the way. We all do it to one degree or another. But what happens is when we do that, we come to believe we've taken just a portion, but we believe we've taken the whole thing of the gospel. And then we're disappointed when life hits us. And we say to people, that Christian thing doesn't work. It doesn't work out for me. You become more isolated, non-involved, but you don't experience God. And the problem is we never took in the gospel in the first place. We just took part of it in and never experienced the life-transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I've entitled this experience the entirety of the good news of Jesus Christ. Because that was the problem Peter was about to make. He was about to take the gospel in part and make it the whole gospel. And so I want us to look at Peter's experience in Acts chapter 10. Because I think it's instructive for our experience in the gospel. And again, to come forward with a heart that says, Lord, like Cornelius, teach us all that you would have for us. That you have, here in the presence of God, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And I think what this text does teach both believers and non-believers alike, if we want to experience God, the life-transforming power of the good news we experience the whole mandate of the gospel, the whole message of the gospel, and the whole mystery of the gospel. And quite frankly, it really breaks down in nice categories. All right, You look at verses uh, 23 down to 33, that's the mandate of the gospel. If you look at 34 down to 43... It's the message of the gospel. And then the mystery of the gospel is the remaining part of the chapter, 44 to 48. So let's look at this. If we want to experience the life-transforming power of the gospel, we must experience and embrace the mandate, the message, and the mystery of the good news of Jesus Christ. So first, if we want to do that, we have to experience, embrace the mandate of the gospel. Verse 28. If you turn with me in your Bibles, you'll see it there in 28, or it's in the back of your bulletin as well. And Peter said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Well, where did Peter get that? That a Jew is not to associate with anyone of the nation? He's not going to get it from the Bible. You know, Genesis 12, Abraham is called and God's people were called to go forth and be a blessing. If you're going to be a blessing, you're going to associate with other people. 
okay? People that are not like you, people who don't look like you, all kinds of people. So this tradition came from the Pharisees who made up their laws and they said we're not to associate or be with the Goyim or the Gentiles. My friends, this, we see this today. George and Rebecca in Washington Heights, New York, live, they live in a Dominican neighborhood, but across the street is Yeshiva University. It's an Orthodox Jewish university, and there's students that live in her building, which is owned by an Orthodox Jew. And great landlord, but they're awful neighbors. They don't want anything to do with you. Because why? They're unclean. They're very hard to reach. They try. They try to befriend. They've invited a couple over for dinner. They won't come, even if they serve kosher. Rebecca and George have a kosher sink. All right? You know? This is, this is a human-made law that Peter is observing. And yet, God has revealed to him by his vision in the first part of the chapter, he's staying with Simon the Tanner, which no good Orthodox Jew would do. He's been called to stay with Simon who's skinning hides of all kinds of animals to sell the hides, and they tanned them. Uh, that's unclean. And now the Lord tells him with a vision that comes down on a sheet with all kinds of unclean animals that you and I go, yeah, crabs, shrimp, you know. You know, we're like, let's do it. Uh, Peter says, no, Lord. The Lord tells him, Peter, rise up, eat. And he says, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. And he says, don't call unclean what I now call clean. Now, go to the house of Cornelius the centurion in Caesarea. Because he ties that vision together with ministry. Because no Jew would go to a centurion's house. But yet, the Lord's been speaking to Cornelius. The Lord's doing a work in Cornelius and his family and his friends and he needs to hear this. And what this passage teaches us like Peter says here in verse 28, the second half of it but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. The gospel is for everyone to hear no matter their race, socioeconomic status, their culture, and to one degree or another, we're all guilty of it. And it's time to make sure that we get this right. We've been doing a pretty good job of this, by the way. You know, we really do. I've seen it. People coming into the church from different backgrounds, different races, different socioeconomic backgrounds, and we're doing, in the effort of inspiring worship, welcoming people well. Keep it up. It has to be intentional. We've got to do it every week. Be ready to receive people into our midst. But historically speaking, you know it's true. We look like our tribe. We hang out with our tribe. The English came here at the colonization of North America, bringing the Anglican church. We fought a war with them, then we changed our name to the Episcopal church. Then we fought a war with the Episcopal church, who changed the doctrine, and we called ourselves Anglicans again. And my friends in Bristol say, well, the Church of England may not recognize you, but we do. <laughs> but you look around, there's still a lot of English kind of people in our midst. It's, you can't paint them all with a broad brush. I know that's not everybody, but it's just true. It wasn't a, an 
Episcopal Anglican Church, I never was a member of that there wasn't a British person in it. This one is no exception. Glad to have them. You immigrate from Germany, Lutheran Church is established. You immigrate from Scotland, the Presbyterian Church is established. You immigrate from Italy, from Ireland, the Catholic Church, Roman Catholic Church. You, you know, it, it, and, and along the line, the Methodists split off from the Anglican Church and started their movement with a bunch of English. And it's just, it's not a broad bust. It goes without saying, we stay in our tribe. And yet Peter says, don't call unclean what I now call clean. So let's work hard privately and corporately to make a place where all people, no matter their race, socioeconomics, culture, and if an influx of them begin to come into our area, we have to be willing to change. Change our music a little bit. Change our liturgy a little bit. Make it easier for them to understand the good news of the gospel. Because to experience the life-transforming gospel, we need to recognize this mandate is for everyone. And God is at work around us, my friends, where we live, where we work, where we play. So for you students out there, you know, where you live, that's not a problem, that's your neighborhood, but also your school, and also where you hang out. For you retirees, you think, well, that, it doesn't work. Yeah, it does. Where you live in your neighborhood, where you, where you go day by day, and where you play. You know, many of my retirees are as busy as they were when they worked. I've observed, you know, in many ways. So I just want to encourage us, friends, no matter whether you're a working adult, a student, or a retiree, God is at work around us. We just need to have the eyes to see it and the courage to join God in it. And that gets to the rest of it. So the first thing we have to do is embrace the gospel. And what, other, what any group is that really bothers us, hey, they're welcome here, <laughs> no matter who they are. Because they are creating the image of God and deserving our respect, our care, and our love because the hope of the gospel is for them as well as for us. That's the first point. Second point is, if we want to experience the good news of the transforming gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to embrace the message of the gospel. Verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all of Galilee, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus with the, of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are his witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. So he first grounds this message in the historicity. Okay, you keep going down to verse 41. He says, not to all people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses. That's the first part of the message. There's three elements of this message, of this good news that he's proclaiming here. First, the historicity. Peter is proclaiming an eyewitness testimony of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. He saw it. 
He's proclaiming it because Cornelius, his family, and his friends didn't know. And your neighbors say they know, but their lies prove that they really don't know. They think they might know, but I got news for you. Many of them don't. So it's important to relay to people the message of the gospel with the historical reality of Jesus Christ. That Jesus came into the world, revealed himself to us in his baptism like we celebrate this day. He was buried in baptism, identifying with us, raised to new life, illustrating the new life we have in Christ together. He identified with us and lived the perfect life that we should have lived. He died upon the cross for us. And verse 41, proved himself to be God by raising from the dead. He ascended into heaven where he now is seated at the right hand of the Father, praying for all those who have placed their trust in Christ. God praying to God for you and me. And I know our culture says all roads lead to God, to which we can respond, well, while we can affirm some common grace things with other faiths, and we can, you know? Being a moral person leads to more peace and joy. Being an immoral person leads to utter chaos. But that's about all we have in common. (laughs) Because there's really two big differences between Christianity and all other major worldviews. First is that they don't all lead to the same God. I mean, Buddhism doesn't believe in God at all. New Age believes when you die, all is God. The Jewish path leads to God through the Torah. The Islamic God leads to God through teachings of Muhammad and the five pillars of Islam. The Christian path leads to one God through Jesus Christ. That's a huge difference. Okay, so when you say all lead to the mountaintop, you do realize that when these faiths are talking about what you call the mountaintop, you're talking about totally different mountaintops. Okay, they're okay with owning that they're different, are you? And secondly, that all religions except Christianity say the way you get to heaven or the afterlife is through your merits. Christianity says it's on the merit of Jesus Christ. And third, all these others are based on teachings that someone said about the leader. (laughs) Teachings that weren't necessarily eyewitness accounts. Christianity is based on eyewitness testimony of people like Peter who followed him, who knew him, who ate and drank with him. The evidence is credible, it's trustworthy, and you can trust it. And many churches lack the power and the life-transforming message that Peter is speaking about because they don't believe it's historical. They believe it's, it's, it's good advice for the believers. We should follow their examples. Peter wouldn't agree with that. How in the world can I live like Jesus? I can't. Can you? If you can, please tell me. We're all not perfect. And we're all being perfected in Him. And when you place your trust in Christ, He sees you 
as perfect, righteous in him, even when we fail. Peter would never agree with that. And so the whole meaning of the power of the gospel is that Jesus historically lived, historically died, historically rose, historically ascended. You embrace the historicity of the message. That's the first element of the gospel. Okay? The second element of the message is the theology of the message. Verse 38. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil and was with him. And we are his witnesses that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Jesus was hung on a tree. Well, Deuteronomy says, cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. So that means Jesus is cursed. How is he cursed? He took our sin upon himself. The curse of our sin, all past, present, and future human beings was placed upon Jesus Christ upon the cross. This is the theology of the atonement, my friends. He's taking our place for us willingly to die the death that we deserve to die. It's a theology which we need to embrace. It really happened. And he really loved us that much. And many churches this morning won't even mention it. It's an increasing pattern in churches, but it's an important part, according to Peter, that we get the theology right as well. So we get of the historicity, we get the historicity right of the message, we get the theology right of the message, we also get the breadth of the message. Okay? You go down to verse 43. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of his sins through his name. You see, it's a living, trusting relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about being religious. (laughs) It's about recognizing that this is a true historical event. Recognize that all he's done for me upon the cross. And it's embracing it for myself. That word belief is the Greek word pistuo, which means it's more than just, oh yeah, I believe that happened. No, it's, I believe it happened, and therefore I'm all in, because it makes all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. Because if, if it really did happen, He's wanting something of me. He's the Lord. He's the shepherd. I'm the sheep. He's the leader. I'm the follower. It's a moral imperative to surrender all my life to this Jesus Christ, and it's for everyone. Maybe you've believed the history and the theology, but not the breadth. Maybe you've believed the breath, but your, your, your knowledge of, of the gospel itself is lacking. Well, we're going to give everyone an opportunity in, later on in the service to, to recommit, because this, this is a feast day, and on feast days, we renew our covenant together, right? 
So I encourage you to come and grow with us in any of our little churches that are budding up. They're, they're, you see them in the bulletin. We'll, we'll talk about them in announcements. There's all kinds of opportunities to grow together. If there's something that doesn't fit your schedule or doesn't fit your, uh, you're not interested in that particular topic, talk to me. Talk to a vestry member. Talk to one of the equipping ministry team members. We are here to help you follow Christ. So you can't have life transformation without embracing the message. That's the history of it, the theology of it, and the breadth of it. So we embrace the mandate. We embrace the message. And the third part of the Bible buffet, the gospel buffet, is the mystery. Verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. This is an amazing mystery that's going on here. They're amazed because these unlikely Gentiles are all of a sudden being brought into the fold of God. These people? Yeah, these people. And Paul describes this mystery in Colossians as the mystery of Christ in you. Yeah, I, I don't know why he's, he moved in me, but he did. And that's a mystery. But he's moved in you too. And we're described throughout all of Paul's writings as being in Christ. That our lives, all of it, where we live, where we move, and have our being is in Jesus Christ. And as we live this way, the Holy Spirit is poured out on us. It's not a matter of a second baptism. You don't have a second baptism. You have the Holy Spirit. Does he have all of you? Are we willing to ha let him have his way with us? I mean, all of a sudden, they started to speak in languages they never had learned. Can you imagine speaking fluent Mandarin? All of a sudden, they got it. Why? Because this is going to go all over the Roman Empire. They're going to need these gifts. And whatever the Holy Spirit wants to give to you, my friends, be open to that. Let the Holy Spirit use you. In any way he should so choose. And don't be scared of that. Because that's a great thing. It's a great blessing to have the Holy Spirit use us in this way. And we are united with him because God is in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus describes our lives as vines and branches. If a, if a man will abide in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. That's why the church in Acts bore so much fruit. They were abiding in the vine, filled with the Spirit, being open and available. You know, I discovered you could get blue crab and king crab at the buffet at Chesapeake Bay Seafood House on Thursday nights. Okay? I love Chesapeake Bay blue crab with Old Bay seasoning. It's, if you talk to anybody that's from Virginia and Maryland, it's just the way we eat them. You know? I learned after a while that a steady diet of just crabs, 
and cornbread, you feel kind of bad after a while. <laughs> because I was picking and choosing. And there was beautiful salad there, too, and fresh fruit as well. And you probably shouldn't wash it down with just beer. I don't know about you, but I've been wrestling with this all week long. And there's parts of my Christian walk that I've been putting back. I've taken the tongs and I brought it and, nah. Are you doing that in any part of your walk with Jesus? What are you holding back? We're going to have an opportunity to renew our promises together. Look at the pattern of discipleship of our covenant. It's straight, they're all from the Bible. If there's something you find yourself falling short, welcome to the club and let us follow Christ the entire buffet. In Jesus' name, amen.